0: So um, I was so excited when um, Katie gave me a call and asked me if I could come um, share with you guys. So thank you so much for having me. Um, They're just doing an incredible job. I'm just impressed moment after moment. Aren't you thankful for what they prepared for you guys this weekend? I'm just giving a little hands Thank you so much. So um, I, as she mentioned, I am um, the lead pastor at Erie First Assembly of God. Um, and we officially had the huge privilege of welcoming Quint and Erin Lindblad into our church, so thank you for all you did to invest and love them. We're so thankful for them. Um, and it's been awesome hearing about all of the things that happened here and all of the experiences that they had, and I feel like I know you already, even though I don't know you yet, and so thank you just for having me and, um, for just letting me share a little bit this morning. Um. Before, though, ultimately, I am a pastor, um, I am a wife and a mom, um, you know, m- m- much like many of you, and so I just thought I would start by sharing a couple stories with you. Um, it's a little risky, because I don't know if you'll laugh or not, maybe you'll pity laugh uh, for me, but um, I have three little girls, I have a picture of them, there they are. Um, so we are also, someone mentioned on the panel, we're out so we play the zone defense, you know, at home. Um, Cecily is the oldest, she's nine. Um, she is a fourth grader. Haley is five, um, she'll be going into kindergarten next year, and Mercy is three years old. So I mostly spend my time in glitter and Barbies, <laughs> you know, um, refereeing, negotiating with my toddlers, five and three. They're getting out of it a little bit now, but for a long time, it was ha- like having two crazy, you know, insane people in the house all the time, as if you have a toddler. Um, I am in no way a Pinterest mom. Some of you are. I am not. I, I like to try things. Um, I discovered that website recently that, have you heard of it, Pinterest Fail? Have you ever seen that? Pinterest Fail. Okay, so it's a website that you actually, people post things on there that they tried on Pinterest that failed. I identify with that more than you know, regular Pinterest. I think I could author that site. So anyway, um, I kind of get things off of there. We try to do crafts and, you know, just keep them busy, keep them out of trouble. So um, <clears throat> this was around Easter time, and I decided we'd make these cute little um, paper plates that are bunnies, you know, and they make your little face, so we're making them. And you have to use Sharpies with those. Um, and, I mean, it, I, it had to have been three seconds. I mean, I, I turned around to, like, drink, a, you know, a water and my middle child's nowhere to be found and she's quiet and how many of you know that's just always trouble and so um, she had made her way into the the office uh, which is right near the kitchen her home office and she was drawing smiley faces on my husband's MacBook and I mean she got a lot done in the in the short time that I don't that I was probably tending to the and so I'm vigorously like trying to get it off before he comes down the stairs because clearly this was a terrible idea. And, and I turn around and she has these Skittles that she's shoving into the printer saying, it's hungry, it's hungry, it's hungry. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's not her And in the meantime, I hear the toilet flush. And so I'm like, okay. And um, my other child was in there with some chapstick, flushing it down the toilet. And so now my husband comes down the stairs. It's like three minutes we've woken up and he's got Sharpie on his MacBook, the toilet's clogged, <laughs> and the printer doesn't work because of the Skittles. And he, said, he says, what are you doing? And I'm like, Pinterest. That's what I say. It's like a swear word in our house, you know? So not the best day of the week. Um, but that's, that's real life. How many of you would say maybe that's not your story, maybe you're not in that part of your life right now, but that's real life. And I find myself almost in complete chaos all of the time. Katie kind of uh, described her her as her head bopping around. I think that's, everyone kind of has their own description, but uh, I feel like my life is loud and it's sticky and it often just leaves me with my head in my hands thinking, you must be your father's child, you know, <laughs> there's something about you, that is, I don't know what you're doing, uh, but I also find my God uh, inserting hope in all sorts of creative ways, and and he reminds me, you know, in the quiet parts of the night that uh, when my eyes are so heavy, and I know the morning is coming so fast, that he offers this this hope, this like indescribable hope that he gives us every day, and there's so much potential in that. And I think every, no matter what season you find yourself in, maybe you're parenting teenagers, maybe you're newly married, maybe you're retired, um, maybe I call my season, you know, sh insanity. Whatever season you feel like you're in, that there's potential. But potential um, can't manifest without form. I, I kind of picture it, it's, like, it's like concrete. It has to have something to be poured into, something to make it a shape to make it useful. Hope forms the potential of the moments of the seasons. And so we know that when we have hope, God can pour that into uh, the potential of all that we could be and create something really beautiful. Joyce Meyer said, um, when you see your life the way God sees it, hope takes over. Hope takes over. And that's what I just want to talk about this morning, just for a few minutes. But I'd like to pray first. So if you could just bow your head with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for um, this morning, and God, I thank you for the sweet, just time we've had already in the conversation and in the worship, God, and I pray um, that just for these next few moments that our hearts could be tuned to you, that you would um, tailor, that you would perfectly tailor this conversation about hope and about our souls to each person in the room, God, to each season. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would do something that none of us expected it to do this morning, because God, you always go beyond our expectations. Lord, we love you and we trust you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, I want you to picture um, in your imagination a stream. Okay, everyone got a stream? So the water is like crystal clear, maybe children are laughing or playing beside it. Swans and geese are swimming in it. If you look down the stream, you, you, if you look inside of it, you can see the rocks and the sand on the bottom. Maybe there's rainbow trout in there or koi fish. I don't care. It's your daydream. Okay. Just make whatever you want in the stream, okay? <laughs> the clean dishes. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> whatever your moment is. High on the hill, uh, far beyond anyone's sight, is this old man. Who serves as the keeper of the of the stream? And he has been hired, uh, and nobody really knows how long ago because it was so long ago that nobody was even there. He was hired as the keeper of the of the stream, and he he travels down to it, and he removes all the branches and the fallen leaves and the debris that pollutes the water, and and he and he picks the the picnic bags out of the the stream that the visitors accidentally blows out of their picnic basket, and and he cuts down the trees and makes. the the water's flowing and no one even sees this work because he just does it so diligently and and he does it so so carefully and and he doesn't get noticed and then imagine that one year um, there's budget cuts and and the the town said you know what Um, we're gonna we need we need this money for something else we need to repair other things this is not a luxury we can afford so the old man cannot take care of the stream anymore, and so he leaves his post. And, and at first, you don't really notice any difference because, you know, twigs and branches fall, and, and things are okay, and, and it turns a little muddy in places, but it can get by. And no one really notices. But then the swans fly away, and the kids quit playing in it, and, and some people um, in the town begin to, begin to get sick, and and nobody really can trace it why, and and it sort of loses this sparkling beauty. And then all of a sudden, this this stream that once was taken care of so well and flowed so freely was just completely bogged up, and and there was nothing you could even do with it because it, it had no purpose anymore. And the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. So once you took the keeper away, not only did the stream bog up, but also the village, the life of the village was affected. Oh, thank you. So this story is a really great analogy or example of a stream that represents your soul. And the keeper is you. You were the old man in the story. Because what happens to us is often we don't um, keep up the care of our soul. We don't make it priority. And the thing about our souls, if we don't make it priority, nobody else will. If we fire the keeper, which is us, nobody else hires another one to take care of it. And often what happens is it starts out just a little bit cloudy and... Eh, I just don't feel quite myself, or some of these things are missing, but it's no big deal. But so quickly we end up in this place where our stream is so cloudy and so unuseful that, that we don't even know, we're confused, we're sick, we, we don't know what to do. The whole village is affected, not just our lives, but our family, the people around us, our tribe. And then we're actually bringing this thing into their lives that is not healthy. Taking care of your soul means that you have to um, rest. And that's why I love the theme of this retreat is that it's to rest, renew, and recenter. And if I added to it, I would say to take care of your stream. <laughs> to, to realize the parts where it's bogged up and the parts that you need to clear out the leaves and the parts that you need to add attention to. How many of you would say when you lay down at night, your mind does not shut off? Like There's no shut off mode. All right. How many of you would say you're constantly thinking about what to do next? Like, you're you're not ever really in the present. Like, you're like, I'm doing this, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to do there. How about this? When someone asks you how you are, the first word that pops in your head, tired. (laughs) Tired. I'm tired. It's interesting. The scripture knew we would feel this way. I want to take you to Ecclesiastes 2, 22. It says, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at nights their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Our body, our soul needs rest. And and our soul needs to have this escape from the rat race of life. It's interesting. The Bible actually uses the word easy one time. The Bible uses the word easy one time. It's in Matthew 11... Twenty-eight thirty says come to me all who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light if you're following jesus easy is not a life word following jesus following jesus isn't easy but easy is a soul word easy is a soul word This is not a circumstance word. This does not describe our assignments from God. They are not easy. Parenting children isn't easy. Serving in community isn't easy. In fact, I would even say being part of a tribe of women isn't going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at times. But the scripture is not saying our life will be easy if we come to Jesus. In fact, if you aim for the easy way, your life will be harder. But the word easy in the scripture's passage is describing our soul. If you have an easy soul, then your capacity for tackling hard assignments will grow. If you have an easy soul, then your capacity for tackling the hard assignments will grow. In fact, um, this year, I've been at this lead pastor gig for about 18 months, and I can share a lot of things. But there's been a lot of days where I've gone home and said to my sweet husband, this is hard. This is too hard. And he always says to me, it's not supposed to be easy, Nicole. It's not supposed to be easy. You're doing it right then. And I think, (laughs) ah, why do you you have to know these things? You know, I have to say the things I don't want to hear. Go get the Skittles, you know. Like, I just tried to get him to live my life, you know. But the soul wasn't made for an easy life, but it was made for an easy yoke. And I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference in that. And so I want to challenge you this, this morning. Maybe have you been praying the wrong prayer? Have you been chasing the wrong goal? Have you been saying, God, I fix my circumstance? Or can you just make my life? Can you, can you just help me with this particular situation? Can you change it? If I just had a little bit more money, my life would just be a little bit easier. If I, if my husband would just understand a little bit more about what how i'm feeling or what i'm thinking but i think sometimes god says don't ask for the easy road or the easy job or the easy choice or the easy life ask god for the soul that is easy and a burden that is light because then you can face anything anything any hard thing any difficult thing you can face anything if your soul is easy so in Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have a naturally easy soul because we're human and it's broken and our streams get all clogged up. He says, so take my yoke upon you, learn from me, learn about these elements that infuse grace and, and there's, there's a way to live that will make your soul easy and rested. There's a way to live that will take that light burden. And so I just want to talk this morning about three things, three decisions I believe we'll have to make if we want a rested soul. All right, three decisions that we have to make. Okay, the first is, um, we have to decide who determines our acceptance. We have to decide who determines our acceptance. Um, so, I'm gonna have, I have to unravel here. Oh, sorry about that. All right, it was really hot in here last night. No, sorry. <laughs> temperature, temperature control. All right, just decide who determines your acceptance so in order for us to have um, an easy and rested soul we, we really have to stop trying acceptance from God now that's probably something if you've been a Christian for very long that you've probably heard a lot but I think actually achieving that it is difficult that we have to remind ourselves of almost all the time and almost in every season of our life we have to stop trying to prove to God that we are worthy of his love and affection. We have to stop trying to prove to other people that we're important and prove to other people that we are valuable and that we mean something. I get caught in these cycles all the time. I don't know about you. Um, 5 more pounds that'll make me feel better. Right? Just just a little bit more. Just just a little bit more or if I had a boyfriend, I'd be satisfied. I don't say that cuz I'm married, but I'm just giving you examples. <laughs> all right, I'm just you examples. Um, if I can just get enough money for retirement I can rest easy. The the truth is, all of these efforts, they're just what-ifs. And I think ultimately, like deep down, we know that, but yet we still put that as our goal. You know, we still put that as our goal. If we just get a different job, if we just get a different circumstance, these are the things that will help us feel this certain way. And it's interesting because Jesus, depended on God's acceptance in such a strong way, And he faced massive human rejection. If you just remember about his life, um, the Son of God was rejected so strongly by people that the only way his soul could rest is if he stood on the promise of God. Uh, Twice in the scripture it's recorded where God makes his acceptance of Jesus crystal clear. And, And I even find it so gracious of God to, to make a very public declaration of that so that Jesus could hang on to it. If you remember in uh, Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized, the heavens open, and uh, verse 17 says, voice from heaven. So just, just like a booming voice out of heaven says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And not long uh, before Jesus would go to the cross, He climbs to the Mount of Transfiguration and at the top of the mountain, God shows up and he says, listen, again, Matthew 17, uh, he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God knew that Jesus would need to know without a shadow of a doubt that God was pleased with him. I think God even understood that when we get in this human flesh, when we live on earth, that there's so many things that pull at us, that that try to tell us that they will make us feel valuable, that they will make us feel important, that Jesus said, look, I'm just going to tell you straight up front with a a voice from a cloud that you are valuable, that Jesus' road wasn't easy, but his soul was easy because he knew he was accepted by God. Like I said, um, I've been at this position for about 18 months, and there's been a lot of people who told me I can't do this. For a lot of reasons. I'm a mother, I'm a woman, um, a variety of other reasons. I wore the wrong shoes. I mean, you know, people. I mean, they, they have all kinds of criticisms and thoughts. And I wouldn't be transparent if I wouldn't say I didn't sting and it didn't make me cry sometimes. I mean, I try not to cry in front of them, but <laughs> but it does. I mean, it's not easy to hear those things. But I will say in those moments, it has given me these opportunities to just remind myself over and over and over that God is the only vote we need. That God is the only vote we need. That he is the only person that we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, commissioned and assigned and anointed you for what you're doing. That's it. And and, and if you just keep your eyes on that and, and you don't let anyone else uh, speak those those other things into you that God's acceptance is stronger than human rejection. That your entire soul will be rested in, in such just a miraculous way. And just as I was praying before I came here, I think maybe some of you are wrestling with human rejection today. I don't know what from, I don't maybe your family, maybe, maybe your church, maybe people in your life at times, but I want you to hear that. God's acceptance of you is so much stronger than any of that. That voice in your head is not the truth. Sometimes it's even our own voice. But God's acceptance is so much stronger than that. And when our soul is restless or tired or struggling, it's often because we are working so hard at getting God to like us that we feel tired. But the truth is, God accepted Jesus and Jesus willingly stood in our place and therefore God has accepted us. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he did all the work. He did all the work on the cross and he is saying, this is my son or this is my daughter. With him I am well pleased and I love you and I I want you to hear that from a voice in a cloud any way that I can. And I believe that today, as you're just kind of wrestling through these things, that that's what God wants you to hear today. That, that he has full acceptance in who you are. That he is the only vote that you need. So, so go out there and do what he's commissioned you to do with the confidence in the fact that God has given you that acceptance. All right, here's the second one. Uh, the second decision I believe we have to have, if you want a rested soul, is decide what will be your sustenance decide what will be your sustenance. Thank you. So Jesus um, did things that grace to keep replenishing his spirit. You know, did you ever think about Jesus is the son of God? He's God himself, you know, the whole like Trinity mystery, that's another conference, but um, but yet what did he do? He prayed, right? Like he, do you ever think, does that ever like blow anybody's mind? <laughs> like, it's him, It's me. It's God. You know what I mean? Like he, but he prays. He, he, uh, he goes to worship himself. You know what I mean? Like he, but he, he engages in these things. He, uh, he feeds his mind with scripture. He reads his own pep talks, you know, <laughs> like, okay, self, you know, like this is what we're going to do today. Um, he enjoys God's creation. I can imagine he probably thinks I made that Oh, it did so good. <laughs> Look at how wonderful. But he's not prideful, so figure that out. I don't know. Um, he took long walks. He, he, he had this close circle of friends that encouraged him. I saw this, um, I don't know if you have the picture of it. I saw this t-shirt online the other day. We just all need this one. Jesus took naps. Have you seen this? Be like Jesus. I'm just going to put that on each one of my kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, all at the same time but he did that. He he hung out with with little kids. He spent time with non-religious people. Why did Jesus do all these things? He did it because I really believe he was showing us that we have to strategically create moments to sustain our soul. And this is one of them, that you cleared your schedule, you... you care what you needed to at home and you got here today and this is one of them that we have to engage in these practices that connect us to God's grace and energy and joy because the truth is if we just try to live our life and and not pay attention to it it won't just come I love what you guys are saying 12 hours of community just doesn't like randomly show up in the middle of your week you you have to work for it you have to create moments what fills up your soul what makes you feel closer and more connected to Jesus? You have to ask God that and then do those things on purpose. For me, um, it's the ocean. Anybody with me? Like you're just ocean people. Every year, my husband wants a vacation in the mountains. I'm like, if you want a happy wife, we're not going to the mountains. I mean, the <laughs> mountains are nice. But I need the ocean moment where, I don't know, I stand on the edge of it and I think, it, it reminds me how big God is and how small I am. And, and how much bigger he is working things out than, than I can ever realize. And some. And so, what are those things for you? What are those things that get you to that place? I don't think any of us can answer it. That's really between you and God and, and your experiences and where you felt the most rested. The soul isn't made to run on empty. I was thinking about some things like some indicators. I do believe there's like a proverbial gauge. Like if you were like, okay, where am I at? Am I 10% filled up? You know, where, where am I at? And these are some things I, I, I thought of that were maybe like SOS signals. You know, think if this is happening to you, you might be like, oh, I might be running a little dry. Um, things bother you more than they should. Like all of a sudden your spouse chewing gum because massive character flaw. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, like, it's just like an overreaction, you know. Um, It's hard to make up your mind about a simple decision. Maybe you're standing in the cereal aisle far too long because you just don't know. Um, Your impulses to eat or drink or spend or crave are harder to resist than usual. Um, You have less courage. You're taking less risks you're you're more fearful than you usually are and i think this one's a big one i think when our souls are tired our judgment suffers and, and actually we we tend to make poor judgment calls and we tend to engage in in sin really and then we get to this point where we're like how did i get here i i promised i wouldn't do this anymore and here i am doing it again I don't want you to raise your hand, but I think maybe more than one of us has been there before. I know I have. Where all of a sudden I I think, what? I thought I was way past this. And here I am, being all critical and negative again. And I think that's when our soul gets tired. It's when our soul gets tired and our sustenance isn't there. And so if any of those just connect with you today... You know, I think I want to encourage you, make a plan to course correct that. Get to the ocean or the mountains or whatever it is that Jamestown people do and and have this moment with the Lord and have that sustenance and and get those things get in a group of people who can encourage you and and talk to you when you're when you're frustrated and and cry with you when you're sad and and say God, what is it that just gets my soul rested? What is the sustenance? Jesus did it and I really believe that we have to work on it. Okay, the third decision uh, is what will give you significance? What will give you significance? So it's acceptance, sustenance, and significance. Um, In Matthew 4, we see this really important account of Jesus. And I'm going to just summarize it for you here. But Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was tempted by the enemy. He, He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the scripture says he was hungry. And so the tempter comes to him and says, um, if, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus says, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on that comes from the mouth of God. And then verse 5 says, the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So Jesus answers again, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, the enemy takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms and says, I'll give this all to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now it's interesting that all of these things were that, that he was tempted with were centered around his identity. They were centered around um, who are you really and who do you think you are? Who are you really and who do you think you are? It's as if in verse 3 the tempter said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Uh, the, The enemy wants Jesus to question his significance. If you were the son of God, you would do this. Prove it. And Jesus just continued over and over to say that my significance is not about what I do, but it's about who I am. My significance isn't about what I do, but it's about who I am. And so he just refuses to do anything to prove who he is. And the enemy is frustrated by that. If you want to frustrate the enemy, don't try to prove to him who you are. Because who or what, by what you do. You probably heard this before, this saying, if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Have you heard that before? If he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So I think sort of unpacking this idea is that sometimes I think we try to do things to help us feel significant, right? We try to, we try to do things. And, and I think there's a difference between being busy and being hurried. And the difference is where you find your significance. I, you've probably heard before, you know, that busyness is a bad thing. I actually disagree with that. I don't think busy is wrong. Because here's why. There's a lot to do for the kingdom of God. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of people who need to hear the gospel. There are a lot of orphans who need your help. Don't just sit around and watch TV, okay? There are a lot of homeless people who need you to step up and move to action. Your kids need you to love them and and make Pinterest activities with them. (laughs) Your church needs you to, to show up and help serve. Your mom needs you to go help her hang wallpaper. I don't know, but busy isn't wrong. In fact, sitting around doing nothing can be equally dangerous. Jesus is not saying, sit around and do nothing and you will be rested. In fact, how many of you have ever done nothing for days? Maybe you were sick or you had an injury and you felt worse. You're like, I just got to get up and do something, right? You don't feel rested when you're just sitting there like a zombie. So this is what Jesus, I believe, is saying. Don't not be busy. I mean, be busy about doing my kingdom work. There's a lot to do and I've asked you to do it. That's what he says. But this, this like hurried concept that is this inner condition that our soul gets when we gain significance from what we're busy doing. Hurried causes empty and drained and unavailable to God. That's like the Mary and Martha concept. I'm so busy doing what you told me to do that, God, that I can't spend time with you. Okay, there's something messed up about that one. But this idea that you can't live effectively for the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. Jesus was busy. He did a lot of things, but he was never have you ever met someone who just did so much for God, um, but they're completely at peace and calm on the inside, and you thought, how do they do that? Have you ever met someone like that? And, and you're like, how do you balance all those things and still put on your lipstick? I mean, that's what I think all the time. How do you do that? And, and I believe that, it, that it's this. It's that the significance comes from what, who God made you to be, not the things you're doing or not doing for him. So your significance can be just as, um, just as strong when you're in a season of life that maybe you're not running four ministries or working four jobs, but it can be just as strong when you are doing those assignments God has put before you. And so that significance is really important to link back to who we are. Why does God love me? Not because of what I do for him, but because of who I am. That's it. And in that strength, I will go do a lot of things for him. So here's what I want you to see, that the important decisions to align your soul, to have a healthy understanding of it, I think we have a, a slide of it, is acceptance, sustenance, and significance. If we can get those three things in, in, the, right, um, in, in the right place in our life, if we can get those three things from the Father only, then we can live this life with a rested soul our burden can, can uh, be easy, our yoke can be light, that, that we won't feel so tight inside, even when things are difficult, that our souls can feel rested. So the, the last sort of concept I want to talk about um, this morning is that I really believe that a rested soul is, is one who is absolutely surrendered to Jesus. And the concept of surrender is just so strange um, because freedom is not often linked to surrender. OK, think about surrender. Um, when police are chasing you, hopefully none of you can like, identify with this story, and you surrender to go to jail, there's no freedom in that. Right? You see what I mean? If you lose a battle, you're defeated, you surrender, you give all your stuff to the winner. People who surrender become prisoners of war. This is all about not freedom. But in the paradox of the kingdom of God, the only way to be free is to surrender. In the paradox of the kingdom of God, that the only way to be free is to surrender. The only way to be free is to take this posture of surrender. In Matthew 16, 35, it says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's interesting because as as mothers as wives as women um, we don't wave the white flag very often we can't no one else will do it (laughs) if we don't but when it comes to spiritually waving the white flag of surrender is actually the only thing that will save us it makes no sense from a human viewpoint It, it, it makes no sense from a worldly perspective But we have a choice. We can either live a life that we call the shots. We we are our own boss. We please, we live life on our own terms. Uh, We decide when we're going to do what and and how we're going to get to our end goal. And we push people aside that get in the way of that. And we figure it out. But the scripture says if we do that in the end, you'll lose your life. Or we commit our life to Jesus. We, We give up all our rights. We surrender to his lordship, we follow him faithfully. We do things that that feel crazy, that 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 make us totally out of our comfort zone, and at the end of that way, at the end of his way, we find this door of heaven opened to us. Total surrender brings complete freedom. And and I believe surrender is a step by step, moment by moment, daily surrender. It, it Not just a I did it once at a conference and now I'm good. It is an every morning, every minute, every conversation, every day kind of thing. And and I believe that that's asking God just practically every day. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? What's what's my focus? I don't wanna. I don't wanna pour all my life into uh, earning money or living a long life or performance or. Or selfish goals. God, what is it that you want? Have your way. And in some ways, I think that appears to be very easy. And in some ways, I think that appears to be very difficult because we have these things that we, we have goals and dreams and visions and, and often it's it's very difficult to surrender those to the Lord. But, but I think I want to challenge you this morning to just start with like one small thing. Just start with one small thing. Surrender one thing to God, and, and as you do that, you will take one big step towards intimacy and freedom with God. Just one small thing. Maybe it's how you spend your time. Maybe it's it's how, how much you watch Netflix. Maybe it's who speaks into your life. Maybe it's giving something. Maybe it's spending your money. Maybe it's how much time you pray every day. I don't know what it is, but take one part of your life and ask to do something with it however he wants to. And start with the big thing. Start with something, just start with something small and say, God, uh, Saturday mornings, what do you want me to do with those? I'll do anything you want. Hold your breath. <laughs> God, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything you want. What do you want me to do? And, and, and when you do that thing, That journey of you to surrender you'll take a huge leap and i'd be willing to bet you will experience something with god That you've never experienced before even if you've been following god for 40 years When we surrender parts of our life to jesus He just begins to overflow that freedom that liberation that rest We feel when we give our lives to god He is taking it and we won't have it ourselves and that feels like scary and frustrating But really what we get is freedom Really, what we get is all of this freedom. That anything can happen to us because our, our, our yoke is easy. So bring on the difficult. You know what? My yoke is easy. God will help me. He has been faithful before. He will be faithful again. Bill Bright is this, um, he's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ and he tells this story about how he physically wrote a contract to God at one point in his life. He sort of had this moment with God and on it he said, from this day forward, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus owns my days, he owns my time, and I'm fully surrendered. And I ask myself a lot, could I sign a contract like that? Or am I still trying to negotiate my rights? (laughs) God, everything but this. God, God, I've been wanting this for a really long time. Really? Like that's not the direction you're taking me? This is how I always thought my life would be when I was 40. Why isn't it like that? And we we have these sort of of right negotiating conversations, maybe with ourselves or maybe with God. But I want to ask you this question. Maybe you aren't making the spiritual progress because you're still trying to give the orders. You haven't signed the contract or your rights away to God. I want to distinguish one Last thing that there's a difference between giving up and surrendering. I don't know about you guys. There's different. Um, everyone kind of has a different personality, but there are times when I when I just want to say, I give up. You know, I'm defeated. I I can't see the answer. My hands are tied. I'll just I'll just let life happen to me. I'll I'll accept the loss. But that's not what God is asking to do when you surrender. I want to be really careful that you understand this. He's not saying just put your life on autopilot. And Let life happen to you. That's not what he's saying. In fact, uh, Galatians 6, 9 says, Don't be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Joshua 1, 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, don't get discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is not saying give up. That's not what surrender is. In fact, I, I believe somebody here in this room needs to hear this. Don't give up. That's why God had you come this morning, is because he wanted to tell you, don't give up, don't give in. Surrender is this, is saying this. I trust the captain of the ship. I'm not giving up. I just trust the guy who's in control of it all because God loves me. And here he's going to steer the ship. And I'm going to give control over to the God of the universe. God, you can handle all my days and all my decisions and all the things I can't figure out. I surrender this all to you, God, because I trust you. That's what surrender is. It's not saying, God, okay, you're going to have your way anyway. Just do what you want in my life, drudgingly. It's saying, God, I'll get on the ship because you're steering it. Let's go. Where do you want to go today? Because I know that you will, always, um, you, you will always take me exactly into the place that I need to go. Surrendered, surrendered souls are rested souls. I really believe that. So here's what we're going to do. Um, would you just stand up to your feet? <laughs> and um, if you just kind of um your eyes. And I don't know. You, you could hold your hands out, or you could you could put it on your knees, whatever you want, whatever. Tr- that's like I like I mean business right now. Whatever that means for yourself. We're just gonna take a couple minutes, and we're gonna pray some really bold prayers. We're gonna ask God for some really big things right now, and um. So just I, I'm gonna have you do another imagination back to that. I, I started with the. I'm gonna end with sort of like a floor of your home and we're gonna we're gonna sort of mentally walk through a floor plan and just prayerfully examine sort of what we need to surrender and so my hope is that every time you walk into uh, this physical room of your home this week that God would trigger this this moment back to you that you would just keep surrendering these things because as we talked about surrender is an every day every moment everything everything morning that we wake up thing to do so let's start with if you have a family room your family room right now or or whatever is equivalent to that and i want you to think about what family issue do you need to surrender who in your family do you need to just trust that god will work on their behalf Think about your parents, your kids, your your future family, maybe, to God right now. Just, just think about those people. And I'm just going to pray over those things, and I want you to just agree with me in prayer if, if you're ready to surrender that. Jesus, we just come before you, and we lay down every issue that we have in each of these families represented, things that... that not know about each other, God. Details that, that we um, we don't even know fully, God, but you know all of them. And we pray in Jesus' name right now that we would just surrender those issues to you. God, that we can trust you, that you are working on our behalf, that you are doing something miraculous in these seemingly impossible situations. God, we surrender our, our the people we love to you, God. We surrender our children to you. We surrender our parents, our spouses, God, our sisters, our brothers, maybe even our future family, the people that we don't even know yet, God, that you're going to bring into our lives, Father. Right now, we surrender them to you, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, come in and help us see how to best love them in every possible way, God, how to untangle complicated situations, how to um, uh, uh, put a wet blanket on fires, God, that are happening within our families, Lord Jesus. Would you bring uh, solutions to impossible situations? I want you to just picture if you have an office of some sort. This is sort of like the office of the floor plan of your soul of our details all the time. So is there a financial strain maybe that you have to surrender? Is there a financial or a plan that you need to let God take control of? Is there an issue at work that you need to surrender? Is there a complication at school? Just those, those details of our life. All right, just agree with me in prayer over these. God, I come to you this morning and we pray for each person here and, and we pray for perhaps situations that their work or in their school, God, that, that are complicated, Father, that need an easy yoke, that need us to look at them in a different perspective. And I pray that you would help us see them differently even on Monday when we head back to these places, God, that it could feel different, that the atmosphere would feel different because even right now we're asking your Holy Spirit to usher into those moments. God, that we would quit trying to control it and quit trying to figure it out and quit trying to solve it the way that we would solve it, God, but we would ask for your complete and total surrender. I pray for those in this room that are struggling financially, God, that have a, a financial burden, Lord, in some way or another, and Jesus, we know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that the cattle sit on, God. That you have all that we need, that you are provider and provision, but God, we surrender the way that you'll take care of that need. God, we surrender that we are trying to solve it, but God, we surrender. We don't give up, but we surrender. We get on the ship and we know that you'll show us the best possible way and the solution, God, that you have. Let's just do two more rooms. The next room is the kitchen. Can you picture your kitchen? Picture it really clean. <laughs> the kitchen is where you often um, entertain people, you host people. Oftentimes the kitchen is, is sort of a an indication of your your outward life, the way you want people to perceive you, the the things that, um, the way people look maybe look at you and look at your family. And I think as women, uh, this is something that's really difficult for us. For whatever reason, it's so easy to get in that trap of wanting people to think we are a certain way, live a certain way, a certain way, think a certain way. And I just want to take a, a minute this morning and just pray that we surrender that. And as we do that, our souls would find this like deep rest God, we come to you this morning and we just surrender that we care what people think about us. We just surrender that that sometimes we are so worried about what other people think more than we're worried about what you think. God, we repent for the times that we want people to think we are different than we are. That we try to give in an- a And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would convict, that you would clean our house, that you would help us surrender. God, that everything that's weird to other people is wonderful to you, God, because you made us that way. And so I pray that as we sang last night, even this morning, that chains would fall off, God, that those chains of appearance, those chains of trying to show and be someone that we're not, because we're just so caught up in that sort of pressure and that culture of things and lord i pray that the acceptance that's straight from you god you're the only vote we need and so this morning i pray that every time these women walk into their kitchens this week god that the holy spirit of god would just whisper to their heart that they are loved and that you are well pleased with them and god that could change just about everything about their week this is the last one. Um, Let's end with this one. It's the closet. So just picture a closet of some sort that you have. Closets are the places where we shove all the things we don't want to deal with, aren't they? It's the place you put everything that you don't know where the place is. It's the place you can shove it in there and shut the door. Nobody knows how messy it is behind there. This is probably the questions I'm going to ask you. This is depending on how honest you answer these questions is probably how deep and intimate you'll experience God and other people this weekend. What are you avoiding that you need to surrender to God? What secret do you have that you need to surrender to God? What in your private life do you need God to help you deal with? God everything about you he knows everything you think he knows every circumstance that you have whether we shove it in a closet whether no one else knows it God knows it and so this morning I just want to take a moment and say God you can have it all you can have everything in our life even this closet that is not very cleaned up that we're ashamed to give you God that we're ashamed to even talk about in our own self God have that we surrender it to you we have no idea how to fix it We don't know what to do with it but god we surrender it to you lord there's nothing we're going to hold back from you this morning god we love you so much and father in that just moment god we know that you can do something in us because that very that very rawness of who we are lord that's who you want when you saved us god you knew all of us you saved us the whole person god it is not just these few things that we won't give to you we pray that a life fully surrendered to you would include the closet, would include those things that we just don't want to deal with, that we don't know how, the inner thoughts and the the things we've never told anyone, God, those, that baggage, those secrets. Lord, we need you to take those, God, because we trust the captain of the ship. We trust that he knows everything about our house and still wants us, still loves us anyway. And so, God, we just take, God, and we just surrender those things to you. Thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't earn it. Thank you for loving us so recklessly. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen.